are listening to Radio Free Signs of the Times, broadcasting into the heart of an occupied America. Welcome to this week's Signs of the Times podcast. I'm Henry C. I'm Joe Quinn. I'm Scott Ogren. And I'm the guest, Laura. You're not a guest anymore. You're a regular. A regular guest. Well, only because you guys just hornswoggled me into it. I had really no choice in the matter. Darn right. After all, there is just so much to talk about. And tonight it's going to be a little free-flowing odds and ends discussion. We've got some things we want to finish off and some other topics that readers have written in about. And meanwhile, uh, for those of you who write in and wonder about the sounds of cigarette smoking that uh, go on on our podcast, let me help you out here. And wine drinking. Yes, and wine drinking. Listen here. I just lit my umpteenth cigarette of the day. It increases acetylcholine receptor sites on your neurons, you know, and helps you think. That's the main reason that the powers that be wish to stamp out smoking. We notice, of course, that they stamp out smoking for all the public, but not for themselves. I read an article today where it indicated that D.C. has passed a law against smoking, except for in the Congress, because, of course, congressmen are not going to stop smoking because it helps them think better. Well, think also about it. Not that we see the re- any, any concrete <laughs> results of that anywhere. <laughs> well, maybe it does, you know, but helps them think better in terms of how to... How to put another one over on us in a much more clever way than they did the day before. But obviously, they're not really thinking too hard about putting things over on us because they don't really need to put anything over on us anymore. We can see from Cheney's remark that uh, was reported in the news today that he has the power to declassify anything he chooses because Bush gave this power to him secretly. And, of course, Bush gave it to himself now, this is a very convenient power to have because that means that you can do virtually anything you want, which is not to say that they weren't already doing virtually anything they want, but that you know that's that's just the way things are going right now. But it was a pretty astonishing thing to read that uh, Cheney could say this and say it with a straight face and that the people of the United States did not take to the streets <laughs> and mob Washington. Oh, come on, they're not going to do that. Of course they're not going to do that. And the reason they're not going to do that is one thing, the media. Because the media keeps them carefully under control. So but before we get off onto the media, let's back up a little bit and wrap up some of the things from the last few weeks. I've had several people write in and ask me, you know, the relationship between uh, the things I was talking about, hypnotherapy, the things I learned and discovered during those years of doing hypnotherapy and how it relates to the world as it is today. Now, that's kind of an interesting question, but in, it, it, it does relate because the fact is that our reality has been so carefully stage managed for so long that those things that could help us to learn to become free have been completely obliterated from our awareness by the media. And what does the media consist of? Well, for many years, the media consisted of uh, the the written word, or prior to that, of course, the spoken word, but then there was the written word, and then there were uh, newspapers, pamphlets, there were uh, things like, you know, Martin Luther's 95 Theses tacked on the church door, and 
manuscripts and so on and so forth. Anybody who's seen the movie, The The Name of the Rose, uh, has some idea of how the written word was treated in the Middle Ages. It was locked up very carefully and kept away from the masses of people because the masses of people, of course, could not be allowed to know the things that the educated people knew. Uh, Once uh, some firebrand-type individuals introduced the printing press and got the written word out there for everybody and people started to learn to read and write, then they decided that, well, they couldn't keep people from learning some things, so they would decide exactly what they were going to learn and how they were going to learn it. And so that was pretty much the philosophy behind the media. But among the things that they decided that they were going to control was, of course, religion, beliefs, understanding of reality. As I've mentioned on a couple of occasions in the last couple of podcasts, there were several times when I did so-called spirit release sessions where the individual uh, was a, um, what what you'd call a free-floating discarnate uh, who was unable to continue in the incarnational cycle a reincarnational cycle in a proper way because of their beliefs. There was the young girl who claimed that she had been raped and murdered in the act of rape, and because she was unable to confess her sins before her death, she was so afraid of hell that she wandered the earth plane until she found some handy person to attach to, which is not to discard the notion that all of this stuff could simply be artifacts of of, uh, the left brain talking to the right brain or vice versa because there may be no alternate reality at all. We may be all there is. I mean, Richard Dawkins may be right. Well, Richard Dawkins certainly has a highly developed analysis of a particular worldview, the worldview that all there is is matter, that consciousness is nothing but an epiphenomena on top of physiological, biological processes. And... You know, who knows? Yeah, well, the first time I read Dawkins, uh, Dawkins, uh, as some of you may know, is a very ethical individual uh, from from my point of view. He he thinks rather deeply. He, he is concerned about the planet. He is concerned about other human beings. He is, um, he is what you might call, uh, as far as I can tell from his public persona, a good person. But when I read his books and he talks about the sudden appearance of uh, of life from the primordial soup of atoms and electrons and so on and so forth, when he gets to the part where the question is asked, well, where do the atoms, electrons, and so forth come from, he very easily sidesteps that question by saying that's not in his purview. That's a problem for physicists. You know, He's just telling what happened after that. Mm-hmm. Which is a, a very good point, but the point is is that uh, what came before the atoms existed, the electrons, neutrons, protons, etc., is probably the most crucial question in all of reality. Yeah, that was the one I always got hung up on when you go back to thinking about the Big Bang and, well, what was there before the Big Bang? What was there that created the Big Bang? Where did it come from? And you always run up against a wall that science or most scientists, many scientists, don't want to confront. Yes, and that's uh, part of the part of the control system uh, that not only do many of them not want to confront it, but they have been prevented from confronting it because the explanation 
has been given, that it's the only thing on the other side is to be dealt with by faith. Faith, of course, gives rise to religions, and religions give rise to differences between peoples, uh, generally to such an extent that they end up killing one another, as they are presently doing. So, you know, that's one of the control uh, means that that comes out of the things that I've learned from hypnotherapy, uh, that it is very much a problem, and there is a great deal of suffering that goes on uh, physically, physiologically, psychologically, spiritually, uh, among many, many, many thousands, millions of people, because they don't get the correct information, because their reality has been presented to them in a very distorted and warped fashion. And this really began with the inception of monotheism, which sprang more or less uh, fully formed on the world stage with Judaism, which led to Christianity and then to Islam. All three of them are at root the cause of many of the ills of the day. And we often promote the sympathy for the Palestinian cause because we can see that genocide is being com- committed on them because they are the short they, they got the short end of the stick this time around but the fact is we aren't doing that for any reasons of um of sympathy with their religion we think their religion needs to be tossed out as fast as Judaism and Christianity uh we do it because simply they are people who have been discriminated against because of their of their beliefs, and they are being literally uh, subjected to genocide at the present time. Well, it kind of brings up an interesting question that occurs to me anyway, um, which is what would happen, um, or what way humanity would have evolved uh, if there had been no kind of printed word or media, mainstream media today, and and uh, no dissemination of any kind of. Uh, any ideas of, of 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 what our reality is, and it was left up to just individual people to to um, to, to decide themselves what uh, what would people have come up with? Would they come up? With, would they have come up with anything? You know, and it, it kind of ties into Dawkins' thesis because uh, left to their own devices, would certain groups of of, of human beings have have come up with? Uh, Ideas of uh, of their own nature, their own origin, the origin of life, the origin of um, you know uh, of the universe, of the world, uh, from from nowhere, from their own intuition, and then how does, how would he explain such things? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think when you consider such a question, you have to consider the many different types of individuals, because of course, as much as we would like to think it's true, all people are not created equal. I do believe that. People are endowed with equal inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But we all know that what life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness means to one person is not necessarily what it means to another person. For one person, the pursuit of happiness might consist of sitting in a room and and sewing all day. Someone else may want to uh, race cars. Someone else may want to write books. you know, different things, and obviously because of these differences of what they like to do or want to do, you know, they are not created exactly equal. But they should have the equal right to pursue those individual interests to the best of their ability and with, you know, with the support of other people or the, as long as those interests do not impose or infringe on the rights of other people. 
I'll give you a little example. Many years ago, we lived uh, in a house out in the country on four acres of land. And all the lots in the area were, you know, not well, no, it wasn't four acres. It was six acres. All the lots in the area were six acres. And we enjoyed peace and quiet until somebody bought the lot next door, which consisted of another six-acre piece, and installed a house and moved in and immediately began playing extremely loud rock and roll music. I mean, loud to the point that even even though we were probably, oh, 600, 700 feet away from them, our house was that, at least that far away from their house because these were you know, long lots. They were longer than they were wide. Uh, we would lie in our bed at night and be vibrated by their music. Now, that's pretty loud when you're talking about that dis- distance because... Uh, 600, 700 feet is, is a long way to a, a long distance between houses, and yet we could But it saves quarters on the vibrating bed. <laughs> so it, it became a battle of wills between us and these, and these young people who had moved in who, who informed us that they moved out in the country to be able to play their music as loud as they wanted. And we told them, well, we moved out in the country so we could enjoy the quiet, and we didn't have to listen to anybody else's music. Because, of course, in the city, uh, if you live uh, oh, 20 feet from the house next door and they play their music moderately loud, you can't get away from it. <clears throat> but if, if these people had played their music at a reasonable uh, degree of loudness, out in the country, they could have played it, and we would not have had to hear it. But they actually decided that they came out to the country to play it as loud as they could possibly play it. I mean, you know, eardrum damaging loud. So there was, uh, you know, quite a quite an exchange between us over a period of months. Uh, fortunately, <laughs> or unfortunately for them. And maybe it was because of the music, maybe not, I can't say, but they began to fight with each other and soon got divorced, moved away, and then the problem was solved. But that's that's the thing is that somebody's idea of freedom may impinge upon somebody else's idea of freedom. And in this case, uh, their idea of freedom was actually somewhat... Um, I don't want to say exactly violent, but in a sense it was. It was it was assaulting other people. It it uh, relied on extending out over the space that there's that was theirs to occupy. So, when you think about freedom, you have to consider all kinds of things. But still, my main point is is that all people are not created equal, even though they should have equal rights, unless they unless and until they do something to make it imperative to deny those rights. But having said that, we also then have to deal with the fact that not only are people not equal in terms of what they like, what they want to do, what their idea of happiness is, there are other people that are less or more equal than others in in another very important sense, which is that they want to have more than their fair share. They want to dominate other people. They want to control other people. And these kinds of people naturally would develop in such a system as you have proposed a system wherein dominance would play the major role, finding ways to dominate other people. And that is, you know, clearly at the root of Judaism, it's dominance. Uh, uh, This this so-called God comes along and says, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. 
Well, that's, you know, purely and simply a, a, a fascist declaration. Um, it's telling other people what to do. It's dominating them. And that ties also into, uh, you know, talk of Akhenaten. And, and there are many people that portray Akhenaten as this wonderful figure who was the first monotheist. If you look at the history of Akhenaten, uh, you could say he was the first uh, person spreading intolerance because he completely wiped out the existing gods in Egypt. And so rather than being a, a figure that, that should be looked on as a, a precursor in a positive way, you could make an argument that he was, in fact, the opposite. Well, he wasn't exactly the first person, but he was the first person who codified it as a uh, as a monotheistic religious system. And yes, Donald Redford, uh, professor of archaeology, uh, who has written extensively on Akhenaten, has pretty much the same opinion that he was, uh, you know, not a very nice man, and and his whole idea was was extremely destructive to to the entire Egyptian society, and that is one of the reasons why the entire society, over which he ruled for such a very short period of time, sought to eradicate even the very memory of his name. I mean, I suspect that the same thing is going to happen to George Bush in the not-too-distant future, that the entire society is going to seek to eradicate everything. Uh, if he's got any busts or paintings or anything got named after him, and even his father, because I'm sure that it's going to spread to his father too. I mean, people people hate George Bush so much that, uh, you know, the day is going to come when, when they are going to want to eradicate his memory. Well, that, I mean, that's a testimony to uh, what you mentioned earlier, what you started off this discussion about uh, the mainstream media or the media in general uh, and the power they have um, because, you know, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that a lot, uh, and by a lot I mean more than 50% of Americans uh, are quite strongly anti-Bush and, as you say, really, really don't like him. But uh, you read, you know, any newspapers or, or watch some TV and uh, you don't get that impression at all, you know. Um, so it, it really is quite amazing uh, and it's, it's evidence of the, of the power of, of the media where they can suppress uh, the opinion and the, and the will, essentially, of millions and millions and millions of people and, and completely subvert it and, and turn it around and portray it as something as a complete opposite of what it is. Well, yes, and of course, this this started mainly with Judaism. They uh, they had the uh, the Torah. Uh, they, they, there were actually several Torahs, one after the other. There was no uh, codified Torah uh, at, at, in the earlier stages, but it was read in the temple or it was read to the people. You know, there were the laws, and of course. The main, the main thing, the the symbol of the covenant was circumcision, uh, performed on the eighth day after birth. Now, anyone who is familiar with the stages of imprinting of uh, different kinds of of animals that have been studied, uh, for example, uh, Conrad Lawrence's ducks. Mm-hmm. Um, might suspect that there is something very insidious about this act of circumcision on the eighth day because uh, it could very well be that that this is one of the things that has that has held the uh, held the the Jewish people enthralled to their to their uh, fascist god for so many thousands of years. So. Then you have, of course, the uh, the written word, the Torah, the the reading of it, 
And then that later morphed into other control systems, Christianity, for example, which was imposed by violence and force, and then uh, Islam, which, of course, uh, again was imposed by violence and force. So all three of these religions were were created as control systems uh, imposed by violence and force, and we are the heirs, we are the inheritors of these systems of, uh, of fascism, which leads us back to the media today. Today they don't have, well, actually when you think about it, they do have uh, certain other means of control. I mean, the American society and other societies around the world to a greater or lesser extent are subjected to drugging. Um, I know that there were several people that I've met in Europe since we came here who were extremely surprised to discover that the majority of American men who are not Jewish, non-Jewish American males, uh, were circumcised for probably the last 50 years. When my son was born, it was still, you know, it was just expected to be done. You take the child in, or he's either circumcised right there in the hospital, or you take him in after the after about a week, and 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 they circumcise them. And this is this was recommended by the American Pediatric Association. So, you know, right there you have a a, a severely damaging event. At, at a very crucial developmental ch- stage in a, in a child's psyche, which makes them vulnerable to being controlled in a, in a very unpleasant way because, of course, embedded in the substrata of their being is the sensation that somehow they are wrong and they are bad and that they are going to be punished and that this punishment is going to be extremely painful and horrible. And that keeps a lot of people in line. And, of course, how did the idea that circumcision was a good thing come to be so widely propagated by the media of course and here I don't mean you know media as in television or media as in radio necessarily but media is any is anything that's printed or any form of communication books textbooks uh, education so on those are all forms of media those are forms of control media is the biggest problem we have in our world today because if the media was doing its job And then you wonder, what is this job? It's doing its job. Yeah. Uh, If if the media was an organ of truth, let me say it that way, then, well, first of all, George Bush would never have become president in the first place because because the issues over the, uh, the election would have been settled quite differently. There would have been early and... Uh, deep investigations by good investigative journalists who would have uncovered the the fact that uh, he did not get the majority of the votes, so he would never have become president. But assuming that, say, that didn't happen, then the next and thing... In fact, that did happen, but those reports never got published. Yeah, it, well, that's because of the control of, of the course. media. Yeah. And the, the next thing, once 9-11 had happened, there would have been no uh, issues of passing a Patriot Act, the the media would have been right there and they would have said, wait a minute, let's investigate this first before you, st- you, know, before you start pointing fingers and blaming things on, on other people. Uh, let's find out who really did it. They would have investigated it. There would have been, uh, there would have been no issues of weapons of mass destruction because they, w- they would have investigated it. They would have known that there were no weapons of mass destruction if the media had been an organ of truth. So there would have been, you know, no no war in Afghanistan. There would have been no war in Iraq, and there very possibly would never have been a 9/11 either, because 
of course, being concerned about the media as an organ of truth, the the criminal acts that were committed to bring that to the world stage would never have been committed. So when you really think about it, the main issue, the main problem that we have in the world today is the media, printed matter, books, periodicals, uh, newspapers, uh, television, radio, movies, the media. And again, it's a testament to the all-pervasive nature of, of the media in that uh, it's pretty clear that today a lot of people, or particularly in the Western world, but you know, all over the world, uh, are essentially just switching off to um, you know to information because it's being rammed down their throats. I mean, the the the, the media machine sponsored by the government obviously is uh, has gone into overdrive in in terms of uh, pushing information on people and it's a natural reaction for people just to want to shut off and 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 uh, ignore this because what's being presented to them is is, is so complex and, and and you know there's so much uh, intrigue and, and 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 you know particularly with the whole war and terror that that it's just too much for most people to try and uh, comprehend and they realize this at some level and they and they just switch off but still the message gets through because it's so pervasive it's it's everywhere no matter it doesn't matter if they if they if they they can't unless they lock themselves in their houses and never and never leave uh, they're going to be subjected to it somewhere and it's and it's literally everywhere and it's a lot of it's subliminal as well. You have to add to that fact the this idea that you know America is the greatest, and that no American wants to consider that their country, the the beacon of freedom and liberty and democracy, is is not the, you know all it's cracked up to be. So, but where do they get those ideas from? From the media, no, yeah. <laughs> In the first place, you know. So it's. It's amazing to, to to think about it, and that's part of the problem is that people aren't thinking about it. It's just, I mean, it takes so much effort for people to, to, to even go where we're going right now. Well, take, for example, another little form of media, visual images, maps. Now, they don't really teach geography in American schools anymore, at least not the way they were still teaching it to some extent when I was going to school. But even then, there was already a certain uh, a certain spin. Spin is is what we're looking for here, because spin spin control is everything. And there, I would sit in my geography class with this big map of the world uh, mounted in the front of the classroom, and there was the United States, of course, placed right in the center of the map. And on one side was Europe, which went off over into uh, into some some place in Russia where the map was cut off on the right edge, and then the rest of Russia and China and, and the east was over on the left side of the map. And, of course, the projection was such that uh, Brazil looked like very, looked very small next to the, you know, below the United States. It was kind of like almost a tail. And I was very surprised to learn when I got older and found a map with a, a much different projection and a little more accurate, that Brazil is actually Brazil, one country in South America is larger than the United States. And the entire continent of South America is presented on the map as being smaller. The uh, United States was right there in the middle. Russia was cut in half. Europe was smaller. South America was smaller. The United States was uh, the biggest place on, on the map. Yeah, I, I have to admit that uh, I just discovered that the other day, that Brazil is larger than the United States. And so the programming is rather effective. Yes, it is. So 
So here we've got this problem. We've been thinking about this problem a lot lately, about the problem of the media, because obviously nothing that we say or do, nothing any of the alternative news sites say or do, is ever going to overcome this problem of the mass media control of the minds of other people. The only thing that is ever going to wake America up is when they really begin to suffer, and suffer a lot, and suffer... Uh, extremely unpleasantly for some period of time, and then they're going to become unhappy. And, of course, that day will certainly come because when you have pathocrats running a country, there's nowhere to go but down. They simply do not have the creativity or the intellect to run a, company, a, a country properly. And, you know, the evidence of this is, is in the many uh, corporate scandals because most often pathocrats rise to the top in the corporate world. And they destroy their companies, and they, they, you know, they they may bilk people for millions or billions of dollars and sock it away, but the company itself eventually gets destroyed. Many people get hurt, and then essentially what they do is they kill the goose that laid the golden egg, because sooner or later somebody's going to bilk that money away from them. And what can they do with all that money anyway? You know, if everybody hates you, you're going to live your life, you know, locked up, uh, away from everybody, afraid of everybody. I mean, look at what happens in in Washington when every, any kind of little scary thing happens. Uh, a plane flies over the White House and they they rush everybody into the bomb shelters or they, you know, run screaming from the halls of Congress because, you know, somebody got a birthday card with some talcum powder on it. You know, I mean, is that any way to live? That is so disgraceful. It, it, it's It's absolutely beyond belief to my mind. I'm not so sure that people like the people at Enron um, would have any regrets for what they did. I don't think anybody's going to take their money away from them. They've got it salted away in, in Swiss banks and offshore accounts, and they're probably leading the life of Riley at this point. Well, sure, they're probably leading the life of Riley, but you know what? That money can't buy them. It can't buy them love, and it can't buy them eternal life. But then, of course, from their point of view, love and eternal life don't mean anything anyway because yeah. e even if they didn't have the money, they wouldn't have that. They don't have the hardware. They don't have the hardware, and that's the problem, getting back to Joe's little scenario of what people would come up with. When, you, when you're dealing with people who are pathocrats, they, uh, they are simply different from the rest of humanity. They are genetically different. They are... They are defective, and they are, of course, a minority. There are only probably, what, six, five to six percent psychopaths, um, and that's that's kind of a, a large estimate, but, but many studies that are being done recently are showing this to be the more accurate figure, and then there's probably about another, you know, 12 to 15 percent of other uh, psychiatric disorders that are inherited, and together, that's that's what eighteen, twenty percent of the population. That means eighty percent of the population are potentially, you know, normal people who have the capacity to love, to have uh, uh, happy lives, to you know, to live a life of uh, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. If they were not constantly being dominated by psychopaths, pathocrats. What would they come up with for their religion? Well, they might not come up with anything for a religion. They might all decide that, you know, whatever any one individual wanted to believe was acceptable as long as they they didn't decide they wanted to play their music so loud that, you know, shook other people in their beds. Well, a lot of them might just decide, a lot of people might just decide that um, they might look around them and, and decide that, you know, here they were alive on, 
alive on planet Earth, and uh, um, they had to feed themselves, and they they could have families and kids, and and that was pretty much what it was all about—to live your life and to experience life, and 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 the idea of dominating other people or you know, killing other people uh, would not necessarily occur to uh, a large percentage of them. Right. And, and that's really the question, you know, uh, what it gets back to your idea of, of not everybody's created equal in terms of not everybody's the same or, or built the same way. And uh, what kind of percentage uh, of, of people would tend towards just living their lives peacefully and getting on with it, with things or... Probably uh, most of them. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, people would congregate uh, into different kinds of groups according to their interests. Because you know that that's what that's one of the definitions of, of friends. You know, people who have common interests, things in common with one another. They would uh, people who like to write would probably hang out with other people who like to write, and they would talk about their problems writing. People who like to play music would hang out with other musicians, and they would make music together. People who like to uh, flip burgers would hang out together and talk about the the fine art of flipping burgers. And, and don't laugh when I say that because, you know, I used to think that everybody ought to be educated and have a, uh, have a chance to go to university and, and, and to make something of themselves because, of course, I thought that making something of yourself meant that you went to university and you had some kind of, a, of, a, of, a, of an intellectual career. And it took, that, that was when I was very young, I'll say. And over the years, I learned a lot about people, and one of the things I learned is that not everybody wants to go to university. Not everybody has the capacity to go to university. I have met people who really enjoyed digging ditches, and they dug ditches every day of their their working lives, and they dug very fine ditches. They were proud of their digging skills. They were proud of their of their ability to to cut the dirt in such a way and and they would talk about you know oh I dug a ditch in such and such a ground and that was really a hard one but I I mastered it and and so on so that there are people for whom digging a really fine ditch is the ultimate expression of their creativity there are people for whom sewing making shoes uh, book binding um, any numbers of of activities are their expression of of creativity